Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamin Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in Amma ba'd Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Allahumma anfa'na bima allamtana Wa'allimna ma yanfa'una Warzuqna ilman tanfa'una bih Amin ya Rabbil Alamin Alhamdulillah We thank and we praise Allah Azza wa Jal for allowing us to seek knowledge once again for his sake. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jal that he makes this knowledge beneficial to us and that he makes this knowledge a proof for us and not a proof against us. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Last week, alhamdulillah, we started our new series, the tafsir of the short surahs of the Qur'an. And in the introductory lesson last week, we firstly started off speaking about the importance of the Qur'an and also the importance rather on not just reciting the Qur'an, but also the importance on, of comp- con- contemplating over the meanings of the Qur'an and pondering over and trying to understand to the best of our abilities the understanding or the teachings or the meanings of the Qur'an so that we can live according to the Qur'an, so that the Qur'an can have an effect on us, an effect on our hearts, on our iman, and so that uh, our salah, for example, can be bettered and the quality of our salah can be improved on through our understanding of the Qur'an and so forth. Then we moved on and we said that when we study the tafsir of the Qur'an, we should at least study uh, the short surahs or those oft-recited surahs that we always learn or that we at least know by heart and that we always recite, for example, in the salah. At least we should know these surahs so that when we recite and we, we make our salah, we can know what we are reciting or that we know what the imam is reciting and so forth. This should be the least that we as Muslimin should do um, regarding the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then we said that that obviously starts with the oft-recited surah or the oft-recited ayat, which is surah al-Fatiha. And last week we spoke about the names of Surah Fatiha. So we started the tafsir of Surah Fatiha, starting by the names of Surah Fatiha. Surah Fatiha, we will see, is very different to the rest of the surahs of the Qur'an, such that it has many names, much more than any other surah in the Qur'an. Because of the status of the Fatiha, it carries so many names. And because of the great teachings within the surah, it carries these many names and these many descriptions and so forth. So, we mentioned some names, I think I mentioned about 12 names. Those who attended last week's lecture and listened to last week's lecture should by now have, should by now, by now at least know those names or at least half of those names. That's what we said, at least try and know half of those names. We mentioned Al-Fatiha, the opening. We mentioned Ummul Qur'an, Ummul Kitab and Al-Qur'an Al-Azim and Asasul Qur'an which are four similar meanings. The mother of the book, the mother of the, uh, of the Qur'an the great Qur'an and the asas, meaning the foundation of the Qur'an. All because the Qur'an covers majority of the important points and teachings that are mentioned in the Qur'an. Or the Fatiha covers those points. Hence it carries this meaning. We also mentioned Ash-Shifa and Ar-Ruqya, two similar meanings. The Ruqya, which is a recitation that we recite for seeking Shifa. And also, it is a shifa. It acts as a cure by the will of Allah, Azza wa Jal. And we mentioned the hadith which proves that. That's seven names. We also mentioned uh, Alhamd, which means the praise. We mentioned As-Salah, the Salah, because we mentioned the hadith. We mentioned Al-Kafiyah and Al-Waqiyah. And what was the other name that we mentioned? Al-Kanz we mentioned. So we mentioned at least 12 names. By now we should try and know at least 12. The other important one was Sab'ul Mathani, the seven oft-repeated ayat, the seven oft-repeated verses. At least know that one and many of the others that we mentioned. When we know these names and we understand these names and we know why this is the name of the Fatiha, it will automatically show us the greatness of the surah. The surah will become greater in our minds already, in our hearts already, just by knowing these names and knowing why it carries these names, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. So, today's lesson, we continue with the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Firstly, we speak about the revelation. 
we speak about the revelation of Surah Al-Fatiha. Surah Al-Fatiha is a Makkiya Surah. It's a Surah which is Makkiya. We know that there are certain Surahs in the Quran which are Madaniya or Makkiya, which basically translates to it's either a Makkan or Madinan Surah or a Makkiya or Madaniya Surah. What is meant by this? The scholars differed over what's meant by a Makki surah and a Madani surah. Or a Makkiya surah and a Madaniya surah. There are different opinions. Some say Makkiya means was revealed in Mecca. Some say Madaniya means revealed in Medina. And they argue back and forth. The correct view and Allah knows best is that Makkiya means it was revealed before Hijrah. It was revealed before Hijrah. And Madaniya means it was revealed after Hijrah. Even if that surah maybe was not revealed in Medina, or that surah was not necessarily revealed in Mecca, but what's meant by this Makkiya word is it was revealed before Hijrah. And Madaniya means it was revealed after the migration took place. After the great, the second migration, not the migration to Ethiopia, the migration from Mecca to Medina. This is the, the, where, the, where the scholars or the correct view Again, it's a detailed discussion, but this is to summarize the issue. What's meant by Makkiyah is that which was revealed before Hijrah, and uh, Surah Al-Fatiha is one of them. Surah Al-Fatiha is one of them. If we look at the verse which is mentioned on the slide, In Surah Al-Hijr, verse 87, Allah Azza wa Jal says, We have certainly granted you the seven often repeated verses and the great Quran. And this refers to Surah Al-Fatiha. So, this ayah was revealed in Mecca. Yani it's a Makki. This is also a Makki ayah. And this definitely proves that the Fatiha must have come before this. Because the ayah is speaking about the Fatiha. So that is one of the evidences that's used to prove that the Fatiha is a, a Makkiya surah and not a Madaniya surah. And Allah knows best. Another point on this ayah is that the Fatiha comprises of seven verses. So all scholars agree, how many ayat are, are there in Surah Al-Fatiha? There are seven ayat in Surah Al-Fatiha. There are seven ayat because the Quran says so. And because the Hadith also says so. We mentioned the Hadith last week, Alhamdulillah. However, ulama differed over what are these seven ayat. So some scholars like Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah, he said that the basmala, and again memorize this word, the basmala, what is the basmala? The basmala is to say Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. That's the basmala. So memorize this word because we will use this word, if not later in today's lecture, then next week's lecture. So remember this word, the basmala. The basmala means to say Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah, he said that the basmala is, a, is the first ayah in Surah Al-Fatiha. So he regarded it as one of the ayat of Surah Al-Fatiha. Okay? So if you count the verses, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim would be one. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Maliki Yawmiddin. Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'een. Ihdina Surat Al-Mustaqeem would be number six. And then the seventh one would be Surat Al-Ladheena An'amta Alayhim Ghayril Maghdubi Alayhim Waladdallin. Those are the seven ayat of Surah Al-Fatiha according to the great Imam Al-Shafi'i Rahmatullahi Alayhi. However, majority of the ulama, the classical scholars, they differed with him. And they argued and said that the Basmala is not an ayah of the Fatiha. It is not an ayah of the, of the Fatiha. So the question then, then should be is, how is it not an ayah if Surah Fatiha has to be seven ayat? They agree it is seven ayat, but they don't count the Basmala. So they count it slightly differently. They say, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen is one. الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين إهدنا الصراط المستقيم is five صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم is six and that's it stops the and the seventh ayah starts by غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين this is how majority of the ayyimah um, basically broke up the fatiha and how they counted the seven ayat but they did not regard the basmala, the saying of Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, as 
one of the ayat. So they differed, right? Whichever way we look at it, it's seven ayat. That's the most important thing. Because Allah Azza wa Jal said in the, in the previous ayah we mentioned, وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَاكَ سَبْعًا مِنَ الْمَثَانِي And we have certainly granted you the seven often repeated verses. Right? We mentioned the hadith last week as well with the Prophet Sallallahu also mentioned Surah Fatiha as Ummul Kitab, Ummul Quran, and Sab'ul Mathani, uh, clearly mentioning that that is the seven of repeated verses as well. So, which view seems to be the correct view? Wallahu a'lam, the scholars differed. Again, it's not a major issue, but if we look at the hadith in Sahih Muslim, the hadith Qudsi, where Allah Azza wa Jal, He said, and we'll speak about this hadith later on again. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said in a hadith Qudsi that I have divided the prayer into two halves between me and my servant. Qasamtu salata bayni wa bayna abdi nisfain Into two halves or equally, right? Allah says, Qasamtu salata. We mentioned this hadith last week. What was the point on this hadith? That the surah Fatiha can mean salah. It can have the name of salah based on this hadith. Because Allah said, I divided the salah, yani the Fatiha, meaning the Fatiha into two halves or equally between myself and my slave. And then Allah says, when my servant, and my servant, firstly Allah said, and my servant will, will receive what he asks. My servant will receive what he asks. Then Allah said, when the servant says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Allah responds to him. And Allah says, Hamidani Abdi. My servant has praised me. My servant has praised me. So, we're going to speak about the rest of the hadith later on. This part of the hadith proves us, proves what? What does it prove to us? It proves that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Fatiha, He started off by saying, when the slave says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen and not when the slave says Bismillah Rahman Rahim Alhamdulillah No, Allah said when my slaves He has split up the Fatiha between him and his slaves equally and when the slave recites the Fatiha and he says Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen this proves that this is the point where the Fatiha starts and not from Bismillah Rahman Rahim Understand? So this is um, an, an evidence that the Basmala the statement of Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is not a part of the Fatiha and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So this, based on this hadith and some other evidences, this is how majority of the scholars uh, got to their conclusion. And this is why we follow this view and Allah knows best, that the Basmala is not a part of the, of the Fatiha. So regarding the Basmala, all scholars agree that the Basmala is a part of Surah Al-Naml. All scholars agree that the Basmala is a direct part of Surah Al-Naml. Wherein Allah Azza wa Jal said, إِنَّهُ مِنْ سُلَيْمَانَ وَإِنَّهُ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ What's the context of this ayah? A quick, uh, brief summary. We know that the story of Sulaiman and Bilqis took place. Where Sulaiman was looking for the hood-hood bird, and he could not find this hoodhood. The hoodhood eventually came and said that I have information for you. I found this kingdom. There's a woman and the people are worshipping other than Allah and so forth. Sulaiman then sent them a message saying, sent with the hoodhood a message to this woman basically to say, come to me and so forth. Right? The surah is in Surah to naml Refer to the reference and read before it and read past it and you can read about this beautiful surah, uh, this beautiful story of Sulaiman and Bilqis and some more of the detail. In the letter that Sulaiman sent to Bilqis, he mentioned this. He said, إِنَّهُ مِنْ سُلَيْمَانَ وَإِنَّهُ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ It is from Sulaiman. This is from Sulaiman. And it reads in the beautiful name of Allah, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, the most compassionate the most merciful. So, here we see the phrase Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is mentioned in the Quran, in basically in the heart of Surah Al-Naml. No scholar disagrees on this, of course, because this is found clearly in the Quran, right? So, in this ayah, all ulama agree it's part of Surah Al-Naml. What about the rest of the Basmalas? 
the rest of the Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim that we have in the Quran. We've discussed the issue of the Fatiha already, that majority say it's not a part of the Fatiha. Whereas Imam al-Shafi'i says, it is a part of the Fatiha. As for the other surahs in the Quran, right? Let's mention Surah Tawbah firstly. Surah Tawbah, we know, Bara'atun min Allah, it starts Bara'ah. This surah has no basmala in it. Open any mushaf, any Quran, open any mushaf, and you will find there's no Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim written there. Because this is how it was revealed from Allah, with no basmala. So we do not start this surah by saying Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, like we do with other surahs, right? As for the rest of the surahs of the Quran, it has Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim written before it. And before we recite the surahs, it is mustahab, it's recommended that we recite Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim and then the surah. So what all of the scholars basically say is that those Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahims, those basmalas, are not a part of those surahs. It's not a part. So if you open up the Mus'haf, if you look next to the Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, you will see there's no ayah number one written there. There's no ayah number one written there. Only in Surah Fatiha you will find this in certain Mus'hafs. In certain places, the Mus'haf will not have the one there because as we said, there's difference of opinion. So depending where you are, depending where the Mus'haf has been printed, where it's from, you might find there's a one next to the Fatiha's Basmala, whereas in other places you might find there's no one next to the Basmala. Because we say there's difference of opinion. But the rest of the Basmalas you will find no ayah written there, ayah number one. Because it's not a part of that surah. It's not a part of that surah. It's written there because it's, 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 uh, it's preferred, it's, it's recommended that when we start a new surah, we should start with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So the ulama, they explain and say that the Basmala is an ayah mustaqillah. It's a verse by itself that is used to separate that surah from the previous surah. Hence, we say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim to differentiate between that surah and the previous surah. So, uh, the rest of the basmanas are ayat which are mustaqillah. It's an individual separate ayah which is there to separate that surah from the previous surah. But it's not a part of that surah. As for the Fatiha, majority of the ulama say it's also the same. It's not a part of the Fatiha either, except that some scholars like Imam al-Shafi'i and others, they said, with the Fatiha it is to make it seven ayat. Whereas the others said, no, it's not seven like that. It's seven in a different way as we explained. And all of them agree with Tawbah, Surah Tawbah, Bara'ah, there is no Basmala to be recited. Bi'idnillah, that is clear, insha'Allah. We will come back to the Basmala next week, bi'idnillah, when we do the tafsir of the Basmala and the virtues and the importance of the Basmala that will be mentioned next week, insha'Allah ta'ala. It is of utmost importance without a doubt. Firstly, part of the tafsir of the surah is also that we look at the importance of the surah and the virtues of the surah. So firstly, the virtues of Surah Al-Fatiha. The Hadith Qudsi that we mentioned, we mentioned first. It's narrated by Abu Hurairah, radiyallahu anhu, may Allah be pleased with him, in Sahih Muslim, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam narrated from Allah Azza wa Jal, that Allah, the glorious and exalted, subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, قَسَمْتُ الصَّلَاةَ بَيْنِ وَبَيْنَ عَبْدِ النِّصْفَيْنِ I have divided the prayer, meaning the Fatiha, between myself and my servant equally, into two halves. And my servant shall be granted whatever he asks, or what he has asked. Therefore, when the servant says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, all praise and thanks are due to Allah, the Lord of all that exists, or the Lord of the universe, Allah responds to him and says, Hamidani Abdi. Subhanallah, this is, or we can just stop here and reflect and think about the status of the surah. It's a surah that every Muslim knows, right? It's a surah that the young know, the old know. The new Muslims, people enter Islam, it's the first surah that they should learn and it's probably the first surah that they do learn. Yet, the sad reality is that many of us, when we recite the surah, we recite it without reflection. 
We recite it without contemplation. We recite it without any focus and concentration. So, subhanallah, what we find is, and we will see from the, the rest of the virtues of this surah, it is the greatest surah in the Quran. And there is great wisdom in everything that Allah does. Every single thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does, there is great wisdom in it. No action of Allah is void of wisdom and perfect knowledge. So what we find is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed this surah as the opening chapter, yes, but also He made it a part of every salah. And the salah is our connection with Allah. It's the most important pillar after our belief, after the shahada. It's that connection between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So surely just based on this logic, there must be something really special about the Fatiha. The fact that Allah made it such that this must be recited throughout the Salah in every Raka'ah, there must be something really special about this Surah. So if we just reflect over this Hadith alone, Wallahi, it's enough for us to see the greatness of the Surah. Yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it's not even, it's not even a Hadith Nabawi. It's not even a hadith on the words of Rasulullah sallallahu It's a hadith Qudsi, which makes it even greater. Allah says, when my slave says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Allah responds and says, Hamidani Abdi. This is something that we just need to stop and think about. How many times don't we recite the surah? At least 17 times a day, at least. Just for the fault of salah, besides the sunnahs. Every time we say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, that Allah responds by saying, my slave has praised me. Just that alone requires us to, to be aware of this. This is what, what's required, that we be aware of this, this fact that when I recite this, this is, it's as if I'm having a conversation with Allah. It's as if, you know, it is as if I'm speaking to Allah. We should imagine this and try to picture this. And this is how we will benefit from the surah and how we will benefit from our salah. But, the sad reality with most of us is that because we know the surah of by heart, we don't need to think what we're reciting. It just flows off your tongue. You can be thinking about anything in the world and you won't make a mistake in the Fatiha because there's no, there's no concentration required in terms of the memorization of the surah. So the surah flows off your tongue easily. And before you know it, you're done with the surah. Before you know it, you're done with this next surah. And you haven't even focused on a small part of Surah Fatiha. Yet, when we say this one ayah, Allah Azza wa Jalla responds and says, My slave has praised me. How much have we truly praised Allah? Do we understand this praise that we are reciting? Subhanallah. This is the questions we need to ask ourselves so that we can make a change, so that we can improve, so that we can try our best to enhance the, you know, the quality of the salah and the quality of our recitation and so forth. So, the moment we say Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Allah Azza wa Jal, He says, my, pray, my slave has praised me, my servant has praised me. This is something amazing just by itself. And when He says, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, the most merciful, the most compassionate, the entirely merciful, especially merciful, whichever translation you want to go with, we're going to get there inshaAllah to the tafsir of those ayat. When he says Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds and says, My slave has extolled me. Athna alayya abdi. It's another version of praise. It's a different type of praise. Extolled me. Athna alayya abdi. Every time the surah, this is what Allah is telling us in this hadith. He has split it up between us and him. When we recite something, Allah responds. We say something on the surah, Allah responds. It's not just us reciting the surah. There's a response that comes from Allah with every ayah that we recite. With every ayah. This is what it means when Allah said, I have divided this between me and my slaves equally. So when they say something, I respond to them. Maliki yawmiddin. When the slave says, Maliki yawmiddin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Majjadani abdi. My servant has glorified me. My servant has glorified me. Every time we recite this ayat, we should remember this. Try firstly when we get through the tafsir to know what it means. Recite it with meaning and know Allah is responding to you. When the slave says, wa And you alone do we worship? 
and you alone do we ask for help? Allah says, هَذَا بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ عَبْدِي وَلِعَبْدِي مَا سَأَلْ This is between me and my servant. This is between me and him. Ya Salam. This is between me and my servant. There's, there's something special about this. This is something that's between me and him. This is a bond that we have. And this is when we confess and we utter our belief of Tawheedullah. That it's only him that we worship. It's only Allah that we ask for help. All of our ibadah is directed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. We don't worship anybody besides him. Not the living, not the dead. Not those in the graves, not those who are supposedly saints and awliya. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, this is between me and my servant. As if Allah is saying, I know the sincerity of my slave. I know what if he's true in this or not. I know if he's a true muwahid or not. And he will have what he requests. This is between me and him. And if he is sincere, he will get what he, what, whatever he asks. Subhanallah. This is the power of Tawheed. This is the power of our belief in the oneness of Allah and our oneness in our worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when he says, اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ الْضَالِينَ Guide us to the straight path, the path of those whom you have favored, and not the path of, the, of those who have incurred your wrath, neither are those who have gone astray. Allah, He says, This is for my servant, and my servant, servant shall have what he asked for. Right? This shows us the power of the surah, that... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he clearly loves the surah. And he loves the surah as it's a hamd upon him. It's a praise for him. It's a glorification of him. It's an utterance of his names and attributes. It's a dua that we are worshipping him. And we mention this worship. And we ask him for guidance. And then Allah responds by saying, this is for my servant. Yani this, this will be accepted. And my servant shall have what he asked for. But we should also remember that the, the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not accept the dua of the person whose heart is ghafilin lahin an. The person whose heart is full of negligence, neglect and heedless of him. So think about this. Here we are making dua for guidance and what more... What is more important than guidance? What, what more do we need? You know, beyond guidance, subhanallah, is guidance not the most important thing? Here we are making dua for guidance throughout the day. But the hadith tells, firstly, Allah promises to accept the dua. But the other hadith also teaches us that it will not be accepted. No dua will be accepted from the person whose heart is negligent and heedless of Allah. So how do we expect our du'as to be accepted when we don't focus in our recitation, when we don't concentrate, when we don't know what we are asking for, when we don't realize we are making du'a for guidance, we don't, we don't realize that the, the, the du'a that we are making in this Fatiha, we don't realize the, the virtue of the Fatiha and so forth. So clearly we can look at both of the, that hadith that we mentioned and this hadith that we are mentioning and say, for this du'a to be accepted, clearly we have to be of those who are focusing. We have to be of those who are concentrating, those who are contemplating, those who are reciting, and their heart is attentive. There are those who are paying attention, and they are, are, are making this dua sincerely from the bottom of their heart. Then this, this hadith definitely applies. Allahul Musta'an. And this could be why many of us are, you know, we, we fall into sin, or we have been misguided, or we go astray so often, or... People have fallen into doubts and misguidance in the belief system in so many ways. Because perhaps when they recite this ayah, perhaps Allah knows best. But this is just a possibility that we are mentioning. When they recite this type of ayat, their heart is not attentive. Their heart's not present. It's not focused. It's not concentrating. And so forth. Wallahu musta'an. This hadith by itself is an amazing hadith that clearly shows us the greatness of this surah alone. Another hadith in a tirmidhi Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said that the chapter that starts or commences with Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen is the mother of the Quran, the mother of the book, 
those seven oft repeated verses and the great Quran. We mentioned this hadith last week when we spoke about those names. Ummul Quran, Ummul Kitab, Sab'ul Mathani, and Al Quran Al Azim. This hadith is authentic, and we spoke about those issues last week. Alhamdulillah. In another hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said to Ubay ibn Kaab. Ubay ibn Kaab was, of course, a great Sahabi, and he was known as the great Qari of the Quran. He was known as the one of the great Qurra from amongst the Sahaba of the Quran. And the Prophet ﷺ encouraged people, if you want to hear the Quran being recited, go hear it from Ubay. And there's many ahadith that speak about Ubay ibn Ka'b. And the Prophet ﷺ used to ask him questions even about the Quran uh, for his opinion and just to hear what he has to say. For example, on, on, on uh, the greatest ayah in the Quran, the Prophet ﷺ asked Ubay. And Ubay said, Allah and the Messenger knows best. And Rasulullah he said to him, I'm asking you, O Ubay. And Ubay said, it is Ayatul Kursi, and he recited, Allah la ilaha illahu. And Rasulullah said to him, I knew that you would know, O Ubay. And he, he touched him on his chest, and he said to him, uh, May this knowledge be a glad tidings for you, or congratulations of this ilm. You know, which basically means, may this knowledge be a benefit for you and, and a favor for you, O Ubay. You know, to show that Ubay had this knowledge of the Qur'an in general, without a doubt. He was one of the scholars of the Sahaba and the great reciters of the Qur'an from amongst the Sahaba, Ubay ibn Ka'b, radiyallahu an. So, it's a lengthy hadith, just the end of the hadith we are focusing on, where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said to Ubay, by the one in whose hand is my soul, and this basically means when you find this often in hadith, the Prophet ﷺ is swearing by Allah. He's taking an oath by Allah. It's the same like saying, Wallahi by Allah. But he's just using a different description by saying, by the one in whose hand is my soul. Right? Referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said, Allah has not revealed the likes of it in the Torah, Injil, Zabur, or the rest of the Quran. What is it? It is the Sab'ul Mathani. It is the seven oft-repeated verses. What does this hadith tell us? This hadith tells us that this is of course speaking about the Fatiha, the seven oft-repeated verses, that this surah, there is nothing similar to it. Not, not in the Torah, the Injil, or the Zabur, which are of course the previous scriptures that Allah has revealed, or in the Quran. What does this already tell us? That there is nothing like the Fatiha, not even in the rest of the Qur'an. It is the greatest part of the Qur'an. It is the greatest surah in the Qur'an. This is what this hadith tells us. In another hadith, in another hadith in the Muslim of Ahmad, and also in Sahih al-Bukhari, with slightly different wording, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he also said to Ubay, I will teach a surah, which is the greatest surah in the Qur'an, before you leave the masjid. And he then grasped hold of my hand when he intended to leave the mosque. I asked him, did you not say that you would teach me a surah, which is the greatest surah in the Quran? And he replied, yes. And so the Prophet ﷺ told Ubay, Ubay that I'm going to teach you a great surah, the greatest in the Quran. A'adhamu surah in the Quran. And as he was leaving the masjid, Ubay went to, took his hand and said, you know, Ya Rasulullah, you said that before you leave today, you're going to teach me the greatest surah in the Qur'an, or at least inform me what is the greatest surah in the Qur'an. And the Prophet ﷺ replied with yes, and he said, it is Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. It is the seven after repeated verses and the great Qur'an that has been given to me. Right? Again, clearly telling us now that it is the greatest surah in the Qur'an. The previous hadith, we extracted it from the hadith. We could prove it from the hadith. But this hadith is crystal clear and tells us it is the greatest surah in the Qur'an without a doubt. Um, and another hadith, the Prophet wasallam, he was sitting with, I think this hadith is narrated by Ibn Abbas, and he said, while the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was sitting with Jibreel, he heard a creaking sound above him. Jibreel looked up and said, 
This is the sound of a gate that has been opened in heaven today and has never been previously opened. Then an angel descended through it and came to the Prophet and said, Rejoice in the good news of two lights that have been given to you, such as no Prophet before you has been given. So this is two favors, two benefits, two bounties from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Prophet received that no Prophet before him received. Two noors, two lights, as the hadith mentions. And then this angel said, they are Surah Al-Fatiha and the concluding two verses of Surah Al-Baqarah. And he said, you will never recite a word from them without being given the blessings they contain. Subhanallah. So this tells us that there is something again extremely great and special about the Fatiha and the last two ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah. The last two ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah has also many virtues attached to it. Not just this hadith, there are other hadith as well, where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, whoever recites it at night, then he, this will suffice him. It will be sufficient for him, meaning sufficient for him against any evil and harm and, and danger and so forth. The last two of, of Surah Baqarah, which starts from Aman al to the end. And most of us, we know this, these, surah, these two surahs. For those of us who don't know it by heart, we should go and learn it by heart, insha'Allah. And if we don't know it by heart, at least recite it from the Qur'an every single night. After Isha, Salah, before you sleep, between that time, you should recite these two ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah and it will suffice you for the whole night. Ali radiallahu anhu, right? Ali ibn Abi Talib, Amirul Mu'mineen, and the son-in-law and the cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, I did not think, I don't think that any sane person, any intelligent person who's sane, yani he's not crazy, would go to sleep unless he has recited these two sur- these two ayat. Subhanallah, listen to these words of this companion. Now again, we should ask ourselves, if Ali found us, if Ali came to us and said, have you recited these two ayat? When last have you recited these two ayat? If the answer is, Alhamdulillah, we recited every night, then that's a good sign. If it's not, then perhaps Ali would think we are unintelligent. We are crazy people. This is, the, this is how the Sahaba were, you know, with the teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah. Subhanallah. This is why they were undoubtedly the best of the best. So this hadith again proves that there is, two, there is something special about these two surahs. Firstly, the Fatiha, the entire Baqarah, yes, but especially those two ayat at the end. There is something special about them. It's a type of nur, and whoever recites them, whoever recites them, he will be given the blessings they contain. Again, this is on condition we recite it with focus, with concentration, with, and, you know, with our heart being present, with, under, with an understanding, and so forth. So we should make an effort as we go through this week, next week, inshallah. To get through the Fatiha and again to get through Baqarah bi uh, at least read the translation, try to memorize it and take benefit from it bi The last hadith on the virtues is we mentioned it last week where the Prophet said to the Sahaba who did the Ruqya with Surah Al Fatiha and he said to them, How did you know that it is a Ruqya? And the man said, Oh, he said to the man, You did the right thing. So share them out and give me a share. And the Messenger of Allah smiled. Share meaning, once they did the Ruqya, what was the story again? These Sahaba were on an expedition, on a journey. They came to a town and they were actually chucked out of this town. They were not Muslim people. Until one of the leaders, chiefs, got stung by a scorpion and they did not know what to do. They immediately rushed back out, got hold of the Sahaba, took them back in and asked him, can you please help us? So one of the Sahaba said, yes, I'll help. And he went, he decided to Fatiha over this uh, chief. And again, one narration says he recited it seven times and this chief stood up as if he was not stung in the first place. For this, they were given a, a bounty. They were given some sheep and so forth. And this is what the Prophet was speaking about when he said, you did the right thing. And how did you know it's a ruqya? He is confirming that it is a ruqya. And this shows the greatness of the Fatiha again, that it should be used as a ruqya. It should be used for istishfa, which means that you seek shifa through it. That you seek shifa through it. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he said that the one who does not seek shifa through it is like someone who, 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 who not necessarily the Fatiha but through the entire Quran is like someone who may have deserted the Quran. And we spoke about this verse last week 
about taking the Quran and neglecting the Quran. In Surah Furqan, we mentioned the verse. Ibn al-Qayyim on that verse, he says, those who don't use the Quran to seek shifa, you know, we're supposed to use the Quran to seek shifa by reciting it with the intention of, of, of seeking shifa through it. Knowing that Allah is the Shafi, Allah is the curer, but Allah has put shifa in the Quran. So we should seek the shifa through the words of the Quran. Especially the Fatiha and the Mu'awidatayn, the three quls and so forth. But especially the Fatiha as per this hadith. Because the Prophet ﷺ confirms to us that it is a ruqiyah, without a doubt. And Ibn al-Qayyim he also mentioned out of his experience, and he said that there was times he was in Makkah, for example, they were not from Mecca, they were travelers, but they would stay in Mecca. And he said there was times he could not find a doctor to go to and to seek. And he says, Wallahi, we used to just use the, fa- the Fatiha as our medication. You know the way we, we use medication, the moment we become sick, we pop a, a tablet or a pill here, we take some medication for this, we take some medication for that. None of us turns to the Quran, Wallahu al-Musta'an. Ibn al-Qayyim, he says, he used the Fatiha alone and it was sufficient. And therefore he, he mentions in his books and he says, whoever tries it with Yaqeen, remember you have to have Yaqeen. It's not about trying it and, and saying, let's see what happens, you know. It's about belief that this is going to work. This is going to work. This is going to be a cure for me by the will of Allah. Or Allah will cure me through these words. And Ibn Qayyim says, whoever tries it yani, with Yaqeen, with belief, he will see the amazing you know, results. You will see the amazing shifa and the amazing thamarat, fruits that are found uh, in the recitation of the Quran. And without a doubt, it starts with the greatest surah, the surah which is specifically mentioned as a shifa and a ruqya, which is surah al-Fatiha, walhamdulillah. Part of the greatness of the surah is how much Allah and the Messenger have attached this surah to the, to the salah. So the salah, again, is of utmost importance in this deen. deen. The hadith says it is the pillar of the religion. And the first thing that will be asked about is the salah. The salah is good, the rest of your deeds will be good. The salah is not good, the rest of your deeds will not be good. And so forth. There are, there are so many ahadith that speaks about the, the status and the virtue of salah. Yet we find so many ahadith whereby the salah is attached to the fatiha. And if you look at the opinion of the majority of scholars, amongst them is Imam Malik, Imam Ash-Shafi, Imam Ahmad, rahimahumullah, is that it is obligatory to recite Al-Fatiha in the prayer, and that the prayer is not valid without it. It's not accepted. And the opinion is based on many proofs, from amongst them the sayings of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is just two ahadith I'm, I'm mentioning. There are many ahadith as well that adds on to the same point. That the one hadith says in Bukhari and Muslim, there is no salah for the one who does not recite the opening of the book. لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بفاتحة الكتاب. There is no salah for the one who does not recite the فاتحة الكتاب, the opening of the book. That's very clear. There is no salah for this person. Meaning, the salah is unaccepted. There is no accepted salah. We could translate it as that. There is no accepted salah for the one who does not recite the opening of the book. In another hadith in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet said, Whomsoever performs salah in which he does not recite the Ummul Kitab, the mother of the book, then it is deficient, it is deficient, it is deficient, it is incomplete. Look how he emphasized in this hadith. Whomsoever performs a salah in which he does not recite the mother of the book, meaning the Fatiha, then that salah is deficient, it is deficient, it is deficient, and it is incomplete. Emphasizing the point that the salah without the Fatiha is deficient and incomplete. Yani, it's not accepted. It cannot be accepted. So, based on these ahadith, the correct view without a doubt is that the Fatiha is wajib to be recited. In every raka'ah of the salah. If there's four raka'at of Dhuhr and Asr and Isha, you have to recite it those four times in every raka'ah. And some scholars say, even stated that it is a rukun of the salah. So some ulama, you know, when with the Sam's ulama, they speak about the shurut of salah, so many, the arkan of salah, so many, the wajibat of salah, so many, the sunnahs of the salah are like this. Some scholars, they, they go through and they list these 
uh, and there is benefit in learning like that as well. Um, some ulama stated that the Fatiha is of the arkan of the Salah. It's a rukun. Many of the scholars of the Hanbali Madhab are of this view that it is a rukun of the Salah and not just a wajib. Meaning without it, there's no Salah. There's no, you cannot substitute to the Sajjah to Sahwi, for example. It must be recited. Otherwise, that rukun, that pillar, that raka'ah is not accepted. And this brings us to another important point. This brings us to another very important point regarding the Fatiha, and that is why it is so important to recite it correctly. The Fatiha, as we said, is a rukun of the Salah, or at least a wajib, at least a wajib of the Salah. But it makes more sense to say it's a rukun of the Salah based on the previous ahadith. So, this means that it has to be done properly. The Fatiha has to be recited in a manner that's acceptable for it to be accepted. Understand? The Fatiha must be recited in a manner that is acceptable for the Fatiha to be accepted as a valid rukun of the Salah. And this is something that's very important. Because what this means is, in terms of the pronunciation and in terms of the tajweed of the Fatiha, it has to be recited correctly. Right? So this doesn't mean that every single person must recite it perfectly like the top Qurra recited. This is not a requirement. That is a mustahab, it's recommended. The person can reach the best and highest levels in tajweed and pronunciation. He should try his best, without a doubt. He should strive for perfection, no doubt. But at least he should reach a level where he can recite the Fatiha in an accepted manner. Where at least all the words are pronounced correctly and no words are being changed completely and no words are being left out and none of the meanings of the Fatiha is being distorted or changed. This is what's important. Right? So if a person misses a small tajweed rule here and there, this is okay. If he doesn't pronounce something, you know, completely perfect here and there, it's a small mistake, it's okay, it's accepted. This is at least accepted. But... It should not be as such where he uh, completely recites something different to the Fatiha. Where he changes the words, where he changes the meaning and so forth. This could lead to the Fatiha not being accepted. Uh, and it could lead to the Salah not being accepted. Allah knows best. We are not judging anybody's Salah or ruling which Salah is not accepted. The point here is to at least make an effort to go and work on the recitation. Right? A person who has a speech defect, he is excused. A person who tries his best and still makes mistakes is excused by idnillah. But a person who makes no effort and he continuously decides completely incorrectly, skips words, changes words, Allah knows best whether his salah is accepted or not, but it could be such that his salah will not be accepted. And such a person should not be made the imam of a masjid or the imam of any type of salah and Allah knows best. Another important point to mention is recitation is with the tongue and not in one's mind. So you cannot sit... If it's a soft salah and recite in your mind, you know, without moving your lips and your tongue. Because kira'a or tilawa, recitation, it's, it's with the tongue. It's with the tongue. This is speaking, you have to speak with your tongue. Reciting or reading has to be done with your tongue. It's not what's done in your mind. So you cannot stand in the salah and think, you know, as you're going through the fatiha in your head. This does not count as a recitation. This does not count. That salah should be repeated if this is the way it is done, and Allah knows best. So that's a very important point to mention, because you see people at times, they are making salah, but their mouths are not moving. So they're just standing there with their lips pursed closed, and obviously they are thinking or deciding in their mind, but they should be taught and, and told and reminded that this does not count as a recitation. <coughs> Sorry, and Allah knows best. So, <clears throat> in the case of a follower in the ma'moom, should he also decide the salah? Oh, sorry, the Fatiha in the Salah. These are some fiki discussions, but I think it's so important, so I'll just touch on them briefly without going into too much detail. Firstly, it's obligatory upon him to recite it in all prayers. This is the one view of certain ulama. Meaning, we are talking about the ma'moom, meaning the, the follower. not the, So if there's a jama'ah, a congregation, there's an imam, and then there's the followers. The imam must recite, there's no doubt about that. 
Even if it's loud or soft, he must recite no difference of opinion over that. The difference of opinion comes in with regards to those who are praying behind the Imam. Right? The followers of the Imam in the Salah. Must they recite the Fatiha or not? This is the question. First group of scholars say they must recite. Whether the Imam is reciting loud or soft, you must also recite the Fatiha. So for example, when the Imam pauses, you must start to recite. That's what some of them say. Some of them say, when the Imam says, well, Amin, is done now with the Fatiha, now you recite the Fatiha. This is what many scholars say. Um, but they are of the view that everybody in the Salah must recite the Fatiha for every Raka'ah. And this is the view of many of the Shafi'i, Ulama, and the likes of Ibn Uthaymin, Ibn Baz, and others, Rahimahumullah, many others. This is based on the ahadith that we spoke about. With the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, there is no salah for the one who does not recite Fatiha al-Kitab. And the other hadith, whoever makes a salah without reciting the Fatiha, his salah is, is deficient, 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 and incomplete. They use that hadith and say, therefore you must recite it. The hadith doesn't say that the imam's uh, recitation takes your recitation. Although there is a hadith that states that, but the hadith is inauthentic. So they don't accept the hadith as an evidence, right? The second group of scholars, they say, um, <clears throat> when the imam recites out loud, then those followers do not have to recite. But when the imam recites softly, then they have to recite. So for example, the first two raka'at of Maghrib or Isha, the imam recites loud, then those behind, they don't have to recite the Fatiha. They just listen to the imam, they say, Amin, and then it's fine. They just remain silent. They use the ayah of the Qur'an where Allah says when the Qur'an is being recited, you should keep quiet. That's the evidence. And some of them might use the hadith that we mentioned, which is weak, that the recitation of the imam counts as the recitation of the, of the followers. And they also use some qiyas, analogies, and they say that, for example, when the imam makes dua, we don't recite the dua after him, we just say ameen, hence his dua counts as our dua. This is something similar. You know, the Imam recites the Fatiha, we listen, we say Amin, hence it counts for us. Right? That's some of the arguments. This is where ulama differed greatly. To this day, classical scholars, latter-day scholars, there are two opinions clearly. We could argue that the first view is the safest view. Because you know you recited it, at least you've, you've done that. Whereas if you don't recite it... The, those hadith might apply, that your, hadith, that your salah is, is deficient, 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 incomplete. And we could also argue that the second opinion is an easier opinion. Because now the imam might not give you enough time to recite the fatiha. And he might recite, And he goes down and you're still reciting, you know, And you end up behind the imam and so forth. It becomes a bit difficult. And maybe you cannot focus because the Imam is reciting loud and you are still trying to catch up with the Fatiha and so forth. So this could be the easier view to adopt. That's also a reason. Allah knows best. I would say, try your best to recite the Fatiha because it's safer. It's safer. You know you've completed it. You've done it. There's no worry. There's no possibility that someone can say your Salah is now uh, deficient or inaccepted or incomplete. If you can recite it, recite it. Right? This would be the safest view, the safest option, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Right? Those who follow the second view, there's no blame upon them either. It's one of those issues of ijtihad where the scholars differ. Both have the evidences, their reasoning. Allah knows best. Um, but it's also sometimes better, sometimes it's better to be on the side of caution rather than on the side of ease, and Allah knows best. Um, this is waived for the latecomer. So a person, for example, he comes late as the imam is going to ruku'. He doesn't have to recite the Fatiha. He just says Allahu Akbar and Allahu Akbar again and he goes into the Rukur. Right? Likewise, a person who comes and the Imam is basically ending off his recitation and you join, you should start with the Fatiha. You should not say the opening supplications like Inni Wajahtu or Subhanakallahumma Bihamdik or any of them. You start straight with the Fatiha. If you have enough time, recite it. If you don't, you can go down with the Imam, inshaAllah. Tayyib. Um, those who cannot recite the Fatiha, just by the way, for benefit, people who cannot recite at all, like a new Muslim, right? There's a hadith about this, 
If the Prophet ﷺ taught the man to say instead of him reciting because he had no ability to recite, is to recite Subhanallah, Walhamdulillah, Wa La Ilaha Illallah, Wallahu Akbar, Wa La Hawla Wa La Quwata Illa Billah. Right? This is for those who cannot recite at all. Like a new Muslim, he can be taught these phrases which are easier and he can say this instead. Or he can recite anything that he knows of the Qur'an. In fact, that, that may be better than this even, as according to certain scholars. If he knows, for example, قُلُوا اللَّهُ أَحَدْ He should just recite that. Allah knows best. We don't need to go into too much detail there. That's just a side benefit um, and so forth. طيب. Now we move on to the isti'adha. We move on to the isti'adha. Um, I think we'll go through this quickly as time is almost up. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, فَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ When you recite the Qur'an, seek refuge with Allah from shaitan, the accursed. Right? So it's a command from Allah to recite the isti'adha before one recites the, the Qur'an. Now, we said basmala means Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Isti'adha means A'udhu billahi minash shaitan ar-Rajim. Isti'adha means A'udhu billahi minash shaitan ar-Rajim. It means to seek refuge or protection in Allah. That's what isti'adha means. So here Allah commands us and says, when you recite the Qur'an, seek refuge in Allah from shaitan, the accursed one. Tayyib. Ibn al-Qayyim says, A'udhu means to say, it, it means, uh, I take refuge, I guard myself, I take precaution. That's what A'udhu means. I seek protection, I seek refuge, I guard myself, I seek precaution. Right? In Allah. Billah. A'udhu billah. Imam ibn al-Jawzi, he said, Know that the one who is taking refuge with Allah, Al-Azim, the Great One, from the accursed shaitan, has clung to the firm rope of Allah. Wallahi, there is no savior except the savior from, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So we seek protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he, then he said, my brother, know that when the servant clings to the rope of the, of the created king, he is saved from the evil of the oppressors. Imagine if you go to the king to protect you from certain oppressors, you, you have clung to the rope of him, of him, of this king, and he will protect you. Therefore, it's far more befitting and appropriate for the one who wants to take refuge, or for the one who takes refuge with the Lord of the universe from the accursed enemy, shaitan, that he be saved. If that king in this dunya can save you, imagine the king of all kings. Imagine the Lord of the universe. So when we say, A'udhu Billah, we are seeking protection, refuge, shelter, uh, precaution. We are seeking all types of protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The king of all kings, the only one who can protect us. The Quran says he is the one who protects and he cannot be protected from. Nobody can protect you against him. Subhanallah. He is the protector. He is al-mawla. He is our protector. Ni'mal mawla. And what, a, what an excellent protector he is. So when we say, A'udhu Billah, we should know what we are saying. I put my trust, I put my protection, I seek my protection from Allah. We should know who Allah is. We should know what we are saying. So remember, shaitan is our enemy, as the Quran says. Inna shaitan lakum adu mubin. Inna hu lakum adu mubin. Indeed, he's an en- clear enemy for you. Fattakhidhu aduwa. So take him as an enemy. When we, make, when we start the salah, in fact, it starts even before the salah with laziness and distractions and this and that. But the moment we start and we're on the musallah and we're in the masjid, wherever we are, we should know shaitan's goal is to distract you. Shaitan's goal is to prevent you from benefiting from the salah. He firstly tries to stop you from making salah. But once you're making salah, his goal now is to disturb you, to disrupt your prayer. But we have a weapon which is the isti'adha. That's our shield, that's our weapon. You know, we say, A'udhu, we say, Allahu Akbar. We say the opening supplication, right? And then we say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, at least. We must say it. Because, yes, we are going to recite Quran firstly. And secondly, it's also to protect our salah, to preserve our salah. Shaitan, what does the word shaitan mean? It's, it comes from the word shaitana, which means to be distanced. And indeed, shaitan is far removed from any good whatsoever. He is the one who is, you know, distant. Shaitan means the one who is far away. Far away from what? From the mercy of Allah. From, uh, far away from any type of goodness. Right? That's the shaitan. Ar-Rajim. 
Terjai Raji means the accursed, rejected, the one who was thrown out, outcasted, and so forth. As we know, he was outcasted from, from Jannah and so forth. So he is Shaitanir Rajim, the one who is distanced and far away from all goodness and the mercy of Allah, and is also the one who was accursed and thrown out and rejected and so forth. So this is the one who we are seeking refuge against, and we are seeking our refuge in Allah. Right? Isti'ada is an act of worship, by the way. We do not seek protection in anyone besides Allah. We do not seek protection in anyone besides Allah. So we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for our protection and not to anyone else. Not to the jinn, not to a magician or to a fortune teller or to a soothsayer or to any person, for example, right? We put our trust in Allah and we seek our protection from Allah. We can take the means, yes, the permissible means, you know, like you put up a, a door on your house and an alarm system, and those are permissible means. Right? Those are dunyawi ways of protecting yourself. You should do that. But ultimately, we should put our trust in Allah and ask Allah to protect us from all types of harm. Not just the physical danger outside, the viruses that we have going around, all types of harm. We put our trust in Him and we seek protection in Him. Right? This is just a side note um, <clears throat> that. We also don't put our trust in things which are not permissible. Like a ta'weed, for example. These things are mentioned in hadith. The Prophet said, whoever ties an amulet has committed shirk. In hadith, authentic hadith has committed shirk. The Prophet said so. Right? So we don't put our trust in these things and there's no protection in those things. The protection is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's in your iman, it's in your recitation, your Quran, your salah, and your isti'adha and so forth. To end off, there's also a, we know the famous saying, A'udhu Billahi Mishaitanir Rajeem. However, from the Sunnah, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sometimes used to say that, and sometimes he used to say, A'udhu Billahi Sami'il Alimi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, which is basically adding two names of Allah. I seek protection in Allah, As-Sami' and Al-Alim, the all-hearing and the all-knowing from the Shaitan, the accursed one. And sometimes he would say, Min hamzihi wa nafkhihi wa nafthihi. From his hams, which is his evil suggestions. Right? We know the suggestions come from shaitan. And from his puffing up his nafkh, like his, his, his spittle and so forth that he can whisper into your ears. And from his nafth, which is his spitting. Right? If you check the tafsir of these words, some ulama say it means from witchcraft. Some ulama say it means from madness. From the madness of the devil that he incites madness within you, that he, he incites all types of things. It's from all, basically these things sum up all of the evils of the shaitan. Right? Sham sums up all of the evil that comes from the shaitan. So this is a very important dua to learn. So before the Prophet used to make salah, or when he started the salah, he would say Allahu Akbar, say the opening supplication, and then say this, أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم من همزه ونفخه ونفثه Right? Then he would go on to the basmana, which we are going to discuss again next week بإذن الله. So try and memorize this along with the normal saying of أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. That's the standard. We can say that anytime and also in the salah. But also we should learn this one and try to alternate between them. Sometimes that way, sometimes this way. That way we are acting upon more of the sunnah and all of the ahadith on the topic bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. So this is what the isti'adha means. And this is the, the importance of the isti'adha as we said is to protect ourselves from the shaitan. And specifically when we recite Quran. Because as we said we are trying to get closer to the Quran through this cause. We are trying to enhance our salah through our relationship with the Qur'an. And this is why before we recite Qur'an, we should say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. And before we make salah, we should say, or when we start the salah, before we start reading, we should say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, or A'udhu Billahi Sami'il Alim Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, or even just A'udhu Billahi Sami'il Alim Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, Min Hamzihi wa Nafkhi wa Nafthihi. One of those three ways you should try to say, like I said, alternate between them so that you get away from the shaitan. Or you get the shaitan away from you so that you can focus, so that you can pay attention, so that laziness goes away, that distractions go away, right? And you start to focus on the salah. The last point that we have is that it is clear, this was stated by Sheikh Mashur Hassan Salman, Hafizahullah. He said it is clear that the isti'adha is legislated in every rak'ah of the salah. 
right? Not just the first rak'ah, in every rak'ah. So the second rak'ah, the third rak'ah, the fourth rak'ah, every time you come up, you say, A'udhu Billahi Mishra Rajeem, Rahim, and you recite the Fatiha. Right? And he said, this is, the proof of this is in the generality of Allah saying, when you wish to read the Qur'an and seek refuge with Allah from the accursed shaitan, is the ayah that we mentioned earlier on in Surah Al-Nahl, فَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ and he said, this is the most correct opinion, which is also the opinion of the Shafi'is, and declared to be the strongest opinion by Ibn Hazm and many other ulama. Many other ulama, Sheikh Albani, Rahimahullah, Sheikh bin Baz, and others. Tayyib. So, it again, it's, it's best. If you think about it, whenever you recite, you should say the isti'adha. Therefore, in every rak'ah before you recite, say the isti'adha. Because every rak'ah, the shaitan comes back, in any case. So we should say the isti'adha to protect our salah, to protect us from the shaitan and his whispers and his madness and his witchcraft and all of his suggestions. Wallahu musta'an, wallahu a'lam. Um, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us and to, and to make this a knowledge that is beneficial to us. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. And to next week, inshallah, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.